This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, how do we read the signs of the times? Vatican II famously told us to do that. All of us are called upon to read what's happening. But how? How do we read what's going on in the world? Well, there are many different interpretive guides. We can read the signs of the times politically. Indeed, much history is written precisely that way. We look at what the great kings and presidents and prime ministers have done or what they're doing and why. That's a political reading of the signs of the times. Or we can read it sociologically. What are the great trends going on in the society? What's unfolding in the popular and high culture? What are the shifts in demographics and why are they happening? What do public opinion polls tell us? Think of the news programs now. Almost every night we'll ask a question. They said, call in, tell us what you think about some subject. That's kind of reading the world uh, sociologically. Or we can follow Karl Marx and read it economically. Marx famously said in the 19th century that deep down things are always about the economy. Everything else, politics, culture, art, the military, religion, everything else, Marx said, was epiphenomenal. It was simply an expression of, of the economic substructure. Or we can read the world culturally as the development in the fine arts and language and film and books. People that read the uh, New York Times book review are reading the, the world in a cultural way. Now, here's the point. All of those are valid frameworks for understanding the world. Whether you read commentary or National Review or Foreign Policy or the New York Times uh, book of, uh, review of books, uh, whether you read Entertainment Weekly or Sports Illustrated, you're attempting to read through some lens the signs of the times. Okay. What was peculiar about ancient Israel 
was that it read the world primarily through theological lenses. And I can't stress this enough. It's such an important difference in the Bible. When they looked at the world, they wondered primarily what God was doing and why. Now, mind you, the Israelites, the ancient Jews, were very astute political readers of things, very astute cultural readers. They wouldn't have used our sociological tools, but they had a sociological sensibility in their own way. But those were not the primary lenses through which they read the world. They read it theologically. Now, we must keep this clear. For the biblical authors, God's intervention or activity was never perceived as operating alongside of the other frameworks, but precisely through them and under them. You see what I mean here? It's not as though, like, well, here's the political thing going on, there's the sociological thing, there's the cultural thing, oh, and there's the religious thing over there, as though it was one element among many. The biblical Jews believed that God was operating in and through and under all the other dimensions. Thomas Aquinas, my great theological hero, said that God is not a competing cause among many, but rather the cause of causes that undergirds and expresses itself precisely through all the finite modes of causality. Now, it's an abstract way of saying this. The political reading of history is right. Sure, as far as it goes. How come things are the way they are? Well, because King so-and-so did this to King so-and-so. How come American history has, has unfolded the way it has? Well, because of President Jackson and President John Quincy Adams and so on and so forth. True? Yeah, sure, as far as it goes. Is the cultural reading right? Yeah, as far as it goes. What's happened in the high culture and the popular culture? What books are being read and why? How are they being reviewed? What are trends in films and in TV and um, popular and high culture? Yeah, that tells us the truth about things as far as it goes. Is the economic reading right? Is Marx right? Well, yeah, to some degree. I can read the world through economic lenses. In fact, right now we're going through this economic uh, downturn, and lots of people are reading the signs of the times through economic lenses. Like everybody else, I look at the uh, Dow Jones report every day to see how the stock market's going. Economic people can tell us a lot about what's happening. So that's right as far as it goes. But listen now. The deepest and truest reading is the theological, which seeks after the divine causality and purpose working under and through all these others. Now, if you permit me just a a little touch of philosophy, modernity, the modern period that we're in, has become largely conditioned by a deist view of God, whereby God is construed as a distant object, only vaguely related to the world. On the deist reading, God doesn't personally or actively involve himself in the affairs of economics or politics or culture. Ah, but that is not the biblical reading. For the biblical authors, God acts in and through all the ordinary events and dynamics of the world. God is an actor in history, yes, but a non-invasive, non-interruptive one. He uses the things, people, and events of the world as his instruments. 
Now, why am I talking about all this? Well, because of the first reading the church gives us for this fourth Sunday of Lent. It's from the second book of Chronicles. It's a book we rarely read uh, liturgically. But it lays out, I think, very admirably the basic contours of the biblical imagination on this score, on this theme I've been talking about. It displays the fundamental patterns that govern God's involvement with the world that he loves. Okay, what do we see now in this reading? First, we are taught to read the signs of the times morally, religiously, and in an Israel-centric way. That's to say, in terms of how Israel, God's people, is pleasing or displeasing to God. Now listen, here's what we hear in the reading. Quote, The princes of Judah, the priests and the people, added infidelity to infidelity, practicing all the abominations of the nations and polluting the Lord's temple. Now, that's a prophetic voice. That's somebody reading the signs of the times. What's he looking at? He's looking at Israel, God's chosen people, and he's trying to assess how well they are following the commands of the Lord, and more precisely, how they are worshiping the Lord in the temple. As I've said to you many times before, we must never forget that Israel was meant to be the beacon to the nations the nation that would act according to God's purposes and thereby attract all the other nations of the world to the true God. What's the author complaining about here? That instead of being a beacon to the nations, Israel had become an ape of the nations. It was simply mimicking the worst things that were on display in the other nations. And thereby it was moving at cross-purposes to God. Now you say, okay, okay, yeah, ancient Israel and a long time ago. But remember, the church, the church of Jesus Christ is the new Israel. We've been grafted on to ancient Israel. We are meant to be the people who give right praise to God, the people who obey God and thereby become a beacon to the nations. We're being taught something of great importance here. How the followers of Jesus behave makes a difference not only to them, but to those whom they are supposed to be inspiring. What's going on in the world? What are the signs of the times? If we read it in this moral, religious, and church-centric way, we should look at how the church is doing. Ah, not primarily political considerations, though they can they can be in the mix. Not primarily cultural, though they can be in the mix. Primarily we're looking at the church and how it is responding to the will of God. Now, we hear, go back to Second Chronicles, we hear that God is displeased with this situation. But his instinct is, as always, to send a rescue operation. Listen again. Early and often did the Lord, the God of their fathers, send his messengers to them. I wonder whether one of the most important things we could be doing is looking for these messengers and attending to them. You see what I'm saying? Ancient Israel was being sent messenger after messenger to bring it back online, 
to read the signs of the times meant to be attentive to these people, these spokespersons for God. Same is true of us now, the new Israel, the church. Who are the people being sent to us right now to draw us back onto line? Who are the messengers right now? Who are the prophets right now? Think of how much time we spend fussing over political figures, over pop stars and singers and actors. Nothing wrong with that in itself, but we should be attending above all to the great messengers that God is sending. Who are they? Can you name them? More importantly, are you listening to them? Ah, that's a way to read the signs of the times. Then we hear, despite all these prophets and messengers, the people didn't listen. And God's anger flared up, and he allowed the enemies of Israel to invade it and destroy it. That's pretty blunt stuff, isn't it? As they read Israelite history and they saw it was overwhelmed by its enemies, they saw that as an expression of God's anger. Now, as I've said before, don't read God's anger primarily in emotional terms, but read it as God's passion to cleanse and to set things right. Again, his anger is his passion to cleanse and to set things right. Sometimes he sends a cleansing operation and he uses precisely the enemies of Israel. You know, as I mentioned to you about a month ago, I think, I can't help but read the sex abuse scandal and its aftermath precisely in this way. God allowing the enemies of the church to cleanse it precisely through their persecution and again, read that any way you want, politically, culturally, sociologically, sexually, read it any way you want. But when you read it theologically, I think we're meant to read it according to this vision. Then finally, in his own good time, God uses political means to bring Israel back. First, he persecuted them by using its enemies, and then he raised up the Persian king, Cyrus, to do his work. Hmm foreign king, foreign country, but yet they serve God's purposes by bringing Israel back to Jerusalem. As we read the signs of the times, whom is he raising up right now? How are the affairs of the world, political, economic, and cultural, affecting the church right now? What do you see, friends, as you squint at the world through these very particular theological lenses? That's the question, I think. It's a good Lenten question, too. That's the question posed by our first reading from Second Chronicles. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Thank you.